All right, so Acts chapter 4, I'm not going to get there just yet. I'm going to read a few other verses um, to set us up, and then we'll go to Acts chapter 4. I just want to make sure you know where we're going. Acts chapter 1, I'm going to read a few verses, okay? Acts chapter 1, verse 14 is kind of where we have hung out a few times, and we've talked about this verse a few times, and we, we hit this the week before uh, we went out of town. Acts 1.14 says this, all these... And that means all those who were in the upper room, the people who were supposed to wait for the Holy Spirit, the people that Jesus told, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends the gift that I had promised you. All these people were continually united in prayer. Everybody say continually. Continually united in prayer, along with the the women, including Mary and mother of Jesus and his brothers. This is really where it all started. Uh, In fact, Jesus doesn't necessarily say to them, hey, stay and pray. He just says, stay. Uh, But there was such a moment of, for them, this is kind of, they saw Jesus after he died, which is a big deal. And things shifted for them. The way they looked at things changed. And so they began to do some things that maybe they hadn't normally done or had done out of obligation or tradition. How many of you know we can sometimes pray or read our Bible out of obligation or tradition? This is what we do. This is how we do things. And when Jesus showed back up after he came out of the grave, all of a sudden the things that had tradition on them now had some revelation in them. There was life to them. There was something about praying now because they knew they were talking to a risen Savior. And so they prayed. They continually prayed. All right, this is where everything started. And out of continual prayer, we see in Acts chapter 2, which is what we talked about a couple weeks ago, we see this word suddenly. And I don't have that verse for you, but Acts chapter 2, verse 2 says, and suddenly. So the continual thing usually births the sudden thing, right? The overnight success is usually not an overnight success, right? How many of you know, if you're a business owner in here or want to be a business owner, don't be discouraged, be encouraged, because your overnight success is coming, but you need to be continual in pursuing it. It will show up, but you have to be willing to continue in something and push through the challenges and push through the obstacles and keep moving. How many of you know after like four days, because some of us, like it's four minutes and prayer is like done. But after four days of being in the upper room praying, they're going, okay, how long do we have to wait? Well, just ten times what you've already waited, right? Like just another you know, 36 days, like you'll be all right. Did you see that? I did the math real well. That, that was awesome. It's about to be school time. Um, and, and how many of you know that, like, they're waiting on him, and they're, maybe they're a little frustrated, but they're waiting, and they're praying. And that continual prayer is what births the sudden moment where God shows up. And the reason I bring that up is because what happens right after the continual prayer and the sudden move of God in Acts chapter 2 is Peter gets up and begins to preach. He begins to share the gospel. And he doesn't, like, hold, pull any punches. Uh, he's very clear about who he's talking to. And he goes, you know that guy, Jesus? You remember that dude, the guy that you, you put on a cross? Yeah, yeah, No, he's alive again. And he resurrected. And, and he's the Savior. And he's the Son of God. And he is who he said he was. And I know you didn't believe it at the time, but I just want to let you know, I want you to believe it now. He is alive. And he's appeared to all of us. And what happens in that moment is actually they begin to speak in other languages. I know, it's, I know, I know. What? Speaking, And the people in the city. Now listen, I just find it interesting that the Bible rarely tries to find moments where no one can tell the difference or uh, quiet moments. This was actually one of the busiest moments of the year for, the, for Jerusalem. There were thousands and thousands and thousands of people who were showing up in the city at this very moment. You think Jesus did that on purpose? 
You think God did that on purpose so that they could look crazy in front of a lot of people? Right? In fact, in the Bible, it says they looked drunk. That's what some of the guys thought. They thought they had had just a little too much to drink. And Peter goes, do you think we'd be drunk that early? And, uh, and so he, he, he's preaching this gospel message. And then what happens is, and I'm just going to read it to you out of Acts chapter 2, uh, verse 41. It says, those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000. That's a pretty successful day. That doesn't count all the people who came to church that day, even though it wasn't called church yet. But 3,000 people that day decided they would believe what Peter was saying about this Jesus that had died. They already knew that. What they needed to know that was that he had risen. And so 3,000 people. Now listen to the next verse. Listen to the next verse. Verse 42. It says, all. Everybody say all. All the believers devoted. Now listen. All the believers. So who is that? The 3,000 people who just believed plus the guys who already believed. So all, not just the disciples, not just the really religious ones, not just the perfect ones, not just the guys who everybody knew would do the right thing, but all believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. All the believers, everybody, anyone who decided that Jesus was the deal, all of them devoted themselves to four things. The apostles' teaching, which for you would be the Bible, right? Fellowship, so hanging out together. Who knew hanging out could be a spiritual activity? Getting around other people, sharing meals together, including the Lord's Supper is the way the New Living says it. So not just the Lord's Supper, not just communion, not just the wine and bread, but, but they shared meals together. They got around the table like we do at dinner parties. They got around the t- table and shared meals together. And then they did other, one other thing. They prayed. It's interesting to me that everything you look at in the book of Acts, everything you read about in the book of Acts is bookended by prayer. So we see in Acts 1.14, they're continually united in prayer. Then we see this message preached, 3,000 people believe, and then the next step is we read the Bible, we hang out, we take the communion, and we pray. But the, the prayer is the bookend of what God is writing in your life. I have, a, I have a bookshelf at home. Isn't that cool? It's cool. I have a bookshelf at home, and uh, I love my bookshelf. It's what makes me feel smart, um, even if I haven't read 80% of the books on that bookshelf. I got really big ones because they also make you feel smarter. Um, it's a power-up, you know. And, um, and so I've got these uh, bookends. And what I use the bookends for is two things. And it's what prayer is for in your life. I use bookends for two things. One, to hold things up. To prop things up. There are things in your life that you're waiting for God to do something in. And prayer is the thing that is going to prop it up, to get it standing the way it needs to stand. I know so many times we try to work it out and then pray it. Uh, We found, one of the things we've said in in the past in this church is pray it in, work it out. The first thing we do is pray. First thing we do is pray. Because if we sync ourselves up, if we align ourselves with what God is wanting to do, then something shifts in us. So at first it, it, it holds it up, and then the second thing is it holds it together. You ever feel like life gets, just begins to lose its 
continuity. You kind of just go, why do all these things? And that ultimately is a soul issue. When mind, body, and will are separate, your soul feels, uh, feels the struggle, feels the pain. And, and prayer is a gift for us to hold things together. And when we unite in prayer as people, it keeps us together. There's something about praying together that keeps us together. It's hard to be mad at somebody when you pray for somebody. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you saw the Psalms, right? Like David gets mad at people, prays for really terrible things. Uh, and then by the end of it, he's going, God, I love you. I want your will to be done. You know, I mean, it's, it's something amazing about when we pray and put things in front of God that, that shifts some things. And I just wanted to read a couple I'm going to read not just a couple. Uh, some of you are going to take that literal and think two and get mad when I do more than two. So I just I want to read a few things. Uh, and that doesn't work either. I, more than three. Okay. Um, uh, few, that few is three or more, right? Okay, we're good. All right, so here we go. Some of you all already learned something today. Isn't that awesome? I just want to read a couple places where prayer, because some of you guys, I know we're in this wind and fire series on the Holy Spirit. And um, here's what I want to tell you. The power of the presence of God is usually preceded by prayer to God. That prayer is a very, very, very important part of us seeing the wind and fire of the Holy Spirit in our life. The breath of God and the shaping of God happen in our world. It happens in prayer. As we combine it with the word of God and we begin to pray what God has said to us and pray his will, things shift. And that's what we begin to see in Acts. So I'm just going to read. This is not even my list, and it's just going to take a second. Are you okay with that? All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read. You stare at me while I do that. Okay, here we go. Those who were converted on the day of Pentecost, we just read this, continued steadfastly in prayer in Acts 2. Following the release of Peter and John, this is where we're going to go in a moment, the believers prayed for boldness, Acts 4. As a result of that, the place was shaken, and they all began to preach the word of God. The 12 suggested that seven men be chosen to handle financial matters so they themselves might devote their time more fully to prayer and ministry of the word. That's Acts chapter 6. The next verse records the thrilling new triumphs for the gospel. Stephen prayed as he was about to be martyred in Acts 7. And because of that, we see Saul, who becomes Paul, who writes most of the New Testament. Right? I mean, prayer works, even in the worst of situations. Peter and John prayed for the Samaritans who believed with the, resu with the result that they received the Holy Spirit. That's Acts 8. Following his conversion, Saul of Tarsus prayed in the house of Judas. God answered the prayer by sending Ananias to him in Acts chapter 9. Peter prayed at Joppa and Dorcas and was raised to life in Acts chapter 9. As a result, many believed on the Lord in Acts chapter 9. The Gentile centurion Cornelius prayed in Acts 10. His prayer went up as a memorial before God. An angel appeared to him in a vision, instructing him to send for a man named Simon Peter. The next day, Peter prayed. His prayer was answered by a heavenly vision that prepared him to open the doors of the kingdom to Cornelius and other Gentiles. Okay, that's all in Acts chapter 10. I, think, I feel like you're getting a rhythm here. When Peter was imprisoned in Acts chapter 12, the Christians prayed for him earnestly. God answered uh, that prayer by miraculously delivering him from jail, much to the astonishment of those who were praying. That's kind of cool. You can pray things that will surprise you if they actually happen. I don't know. Just, maybe we should pray bigger prayers. The prophets and teachers of Antioch fasted and prayed in Acts chapter 13. And this would be uh, what many would say is maybe the most important prayer and most important uh, few verses in all of Acts because it begins the missionary journey of Paul. This launched the first missionary journey of Paul and Barnabas. It has been said that this was the mightiest outreach of prayer ever seen, for it touched the ends of the earth, even to us through Paul and Barnabas, the missionaries. 
on a return trip to Lystra and Iconium in Antioch, Paul and Barnabas prayed for those who had believed in Acts 14. One of those was Timothy, who goes on to pastor Paul's church that he started. In prison in Philippi, Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas were answered with an earthquake and were able to get out of jail. And in following that, saw those people saved. Paul prayed with the Ephesians at Miletus in Acts 20. This brought a touch, touching demonstration of their affection for him and their grief that they would not see him again in this life. The Christians at Tyre prayed with Paul on the beach. And these prayers doubtless followed him to Rome and to the executioner's block. Because Paul ended life in a difficult way. Prior to his shipwreck, Paul publicly prayed, giving thanks to God for the food. This brought cheer to the forlorn crew. And you know it's someone else's list when they use the word forlorn. And this is the last one. On the island of Malta, Paul prayed for the governor's sick father. The result was that the patient was miraculously healed. That's Acts chapter 28. Prayer, prayer was the atmosphere in which the early church lived. Prayer. They knew the, the things of God. They, many of these would have been trained in uh, the early teachings of God. And, 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 and through men like Moses and others, they would have read what they had written. And they, they would have known so many of these things. And, then, and, and so Jesus then shows up and begins to complete the law and, and brings a grace to it that they never experienced before. They, then they see the apostles and they listen to the apostles' teaching. Uh, they gather together. They hang out together. They, they grab meals together. They, they, they take communion together. And they... Pray. There's something about prayer that is a gift to us, the church. And for many of us who have either grown up in church or had some experience in church or known some Christians who say they go to church, prayer is just a nice thing to do or it's that one thing you do when things go badly and you've tried everything else. And prayer is not a, a relational tool. It actually becomes a reactionary tool, and it loses its actual distinct power when that happens because prayer is meant to bookend what God wants to do in your life. And if you want the story God is writing in your life to stand up and stay together, then you need to make sure that prayer is the thing that you put around it because it is what will hold you together and hold you up. And I know it can be challenging at times because you don't know what to pray. What do I say? What do I speak here? What do I, I don't know what it is I'm meant to say to God. And you can, you can go one route. You can say, well, just pray like you'd pray to your father. And some of you go, well, I don't really know my father. I don't really, that wasn't a relationship I, you know, celebrate or, or talk much about. So that's a challenge. And, but, but Jesus does frame it that way. He gives you the Lord's Prayer, but the Lord's Prayer is really the Father's Prayer, meaning that before and after it, he's talking in the context of a Father God. He's before and after, he's talking about God our Father, and then he starts the prayer with our Father. He's very much trying to get you to a place of relationship. Ultimately, prayer begins and ends in a place of relationship. And it, yes, it can be challenging, but any new relationship can be challenging. Do not beat yourself up when you get off the phone with God. Don't use the phone to talk to God. But if you get off the phone with a new relationship and feel like, well, I'm not sure they were feeling it. I'm not sure we're going to, you know, like I'm not. Listen, there's a time where you begin to learn the Holy Spirit. The Bible, Paul says this in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 13. He actually ends it by saying, I want you to grow in the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. 
that there's a fellowship, and there is a uh, fellowship means that you have the same aim. So you you are you are syncing up your aim with His, and as you do that, you will grow more and more familiar with His voice. Jesus says, "Those who know me will know me by my voice. They will know my voice." God is not trying to be distant from you. So I want to read out of Acts chapter four. Remember, I told you we'd go there, and we're going to go quickly through this. We're going to read thirty-one verses. Somebody high five. Somebody go. I got my Bible reading in for the day. It'll be all right. Acts chapter 4, and I want to read this because it's one of my favorite uh, chapters. And the reason I'm, reason I'm talking about prayer so much is I really do believe this 21 days of prayer for you and for us can be uh, really revolutionary. I believe it can be a thing, it can be a moment for us that we look back at. And I want that for you. I want this 21, even if you came in today not having any clue we were doing that, right? And you're going, well, I should have started this morning. Ah, I guess I can't do it. No, like just jump in wherever you're at. Just, just jump in. Like, I really want to encourage you. And for some of you even frustrated with God, discouraged, or questioning some things, you can still pray. Did you know that? Like, you can still join into this and pray, God, if at the very least, the only thing I get out of this is that I know you more. And that I have a confidence in you. Awesome. We're not doing this so we can pull on heaven and make our will be done. We're, pr- we're pulling on heaven so that heaven would be on earth and that we would see his will accomplished. And, and so our prayer, our desire, his first priority with you is that you would know him. It's his first priority. And so I, I'm hoping that this 21, that's why I'm harping on prayer. I know we're in a Holy Spirit series, but I believe that if we're not praying, we will probably not hang out with the Holy Spirit. Okay, so they, they are connected very, very much. Acts chapter 4, verse 1. All right, Ready? We're going we're gonna to run through this really quickly. Uh, while Peter and John were speaking to the people, they were confronted by the priests, the captain of the temple guard, and some of the Sadducees. How many of you would like, I just imagine getting done with the sermon and walking out, and all the religious leaders of the city were standing outside with a police officer, like, yo, what are you doing? Um, this is the environment in which they were preaching this message. These leaders were very disturbed. Man, tradition and uh, religion, and I don't, I don't, listen, I don't use religion in a bad way all the time. I think just the institution of religion is not a bad thing. It's when we abuse what it is meant to be that it becomes a bad thing. Religion without relationship is what actually causes pain. And so when, when, when we have relationship with God and so we form a structure around it, that's okay. It's when you take the breath out of it and only have a shape that you find yourself in a dead place. So religion is not a bad thing, but understand what I'm saying when I say this. That will, there, when you're preaching life in Christ, religion will come along especially that which does not have life in it, and say, I cannot believe you would say the things you're saying. And that's what's happening here. They're frustrated with Peter and John, disturbed. Isn't it amazing what people get disturbed by? I just can't even believe you would say that. So disturbed by that lyric and by that thing. Just relax. You okay? The teaching of people that through Jesus there is a resurrection of the dead. That is a whole message in and of itself, the resurrection of the dead. They arrested them. Come on, man. You know, a majority of the world is dealing with this very problem. Uh, my dad was in a place not too long ago where he couldn't tell you where he was because if people found out, they would have been arrested. They arrested them, and since it was already evening, put them in jail until morning. <laughs> well, it's already late. So why don't you stay in here for the night, right? I mean, you preach the message about Jesus. Like, how dare you? We're disturbed. But many of the people who heard their message believed it. So the number of men who believed now totaled about 5,000. So even though they got arrested, even though they got persecuted, people still believed. The next day, the council of all the rulers and elders and teachers of religious law met in Jerusalem. Man, this is a big deal. 
Like they saw 3,000 the first day, now they're seeing a couple more added, and now they're getting frustrated. They're disturbed because they are not the top dog anymore. Uh, Annas, the high priest, was there along with Cyphus and John and Alexander and other relatives of the high priest. Like, come on, you're bringing your mother-in-law? Like, what is the deal? They brought in the two disciples and demanded, by what power? Now, y'all remember Acts, Acts chapter 1. What does he say? When the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will receive power. Now, that power is not just like this weird kind of, it's an, a special ability to do what I've called you to do. The ultimate purpose of the power God puts on your life is that you might accomplish the purpose he's put in your life. And so it's important that we don't just go, oh, just power. This is nice. I just get to abuse this. No, 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 no. It's a power for a purpose. God never gives you power for your, he gives you power with a purpose. And when you begin to abuse the power, he begins to take away the power because he put you the power in you for a purpose. By what power or in whose name? I love that. In whose name have you done this? Because name actually carried meaning back in the day. You didn't just, name meant something. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of our people, are we being questioned today? I feel like he's doing this very politely. Because we've done a good deed for a crippled man. They had just healed a man who'd been crippled for 40 years. Do you want to know how he was healed? Well, yeah, we just asked you that. Let me clearly state to all of you and to all the people of Israel that he was healed by, what a powerful name it is. Name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, the man you crucified. But whom God raised from the dead, zing. For Jesus is the one referred to in the scriptures where it says, the stone that you builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Listen, the Holy Spirit, yeah, you can clap the Bible, it's good. Uh, it, the Holy Spirit's primary role is to point people to Jesus. So when the disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit, you know what always happened? Jesus got talked about. Sometimes we chase the experience of the Holy Spirit at the detriment of the exclamation and proclamation of Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior. The Holy Spirit's primary role is that through the gifts and the fruit and the discernment and the counseling and the comforting and the... The primary role is that Jesus would be lifted up. And as Jesus is lifted up, people would run to him and be saved. So when you see people going, man, I'm just living in the Holy Spirit, and they never talk about Jesus, they ain't living in the Holy Spirit. Like I the Holy Spirit's job. I'm not saying you don't talk about the Holy Spirit. I'm just saying he's going to get frustrated if that's all you talk about. Because it means you ain't listening to him. The Holy Spirit wants you to be able to talk about Jesus in power. The members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were ordinary men. I love that. Ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. You are ordinary people. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. Come on, the only qualifier for you becoming who God's called you to be is that you'd hung out with Jesus. You ain't got no special training. You're just ordinary people. 
But since they could see the man who had been healed standing right there among them, there was nothing the council could say. Come on, let's bring the things God has done in our life to the forefront so there is nothing people can say when they say, well, there's no chance. that." So they ordered Peter and John out of the council chamber and conferred among themselves. What, they should, what should we do with these men, they asked each other. We can't deny that they have performed a miraculous sign. I mean, he's sitting right there, and everybody in Jerusalem knows about it. Word travels fast. But to keep them from spreading their propaganda any further, we must warn them not to speak to anyone in Jesus' name again. So they called the apostles back in and commanded them never again to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. They wanted to shut down the propaganda. I love that word. Because propaganda is not objective. Propaganda pushes an ideal or an idea regardless of the facts. Listen, can I tell you something? You are not pushing propaganda. Do not. Jesus had risen. And you can't call it propaganda when you've got a dude who'd been sick for 40 years standing right next to you and they say it's not us. Like how many of you know back in the day, or maybe not back in the day, like even maybe today, some of us would do that kind of miracle and go, yeah, yeah, I helped Jesus out. Right? The only thing they say is Jesus. By the name of Jesus, this man is standing up in front of you. How cool is that? That's not propaganda. That's a fact. I don't know what the, that's, that's, I want to be a person who understands if I can carry the presence of God in my life, if I can walk in the presence of God, then I don't have to worry about feeling like I'm pushing some kind of propaganda. It is, that's, that's not what this is about. They could not deny what happened. That's why the Holy Spirit is in you because he wants to move in power, not just persuasive speech. Okay, they could not deny what happened. Verse 19. But Peter and John replied, do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? Rhetorical question. We cannot stop telling about what, everything we have seen and heard because you're witnesses. You are not having to make this up. You see things and you hear things. That's what you talk about. The council then threatened them further, but they finally let them go because they didn't know how to punish them without starting a riot. I, just, I don't know. I just want to see a bunch of church people riot. Um, I mean, you ever think about that? Like, th think about that phrase. Like, we couldn't punish them because it means all the people in the city who love Jesus would start a riot. You can't put these people in prison. I mean, we have more people to heal. We got more things to do. For everyone was praising God for this miraculous sign, the healing of a man who had been lame for more than 40 years. As soon as they were freed, Peter and John returned to the other believers and told them what the leading priests and elders had said. When they heard the report, all the believers lifted their voice together in prayer to God. Come on now, Wednesday night, 7.30, be there. Let's lift our voices in prayer to God for our city and for our church. Listen, they had been threatened. Peter and John, do not. They threatened them a couple times, warned them a couple times. Do not do this again. You've already been to prison once. We, we will put you in there again. Like You will be persecuted. Do not say another thing. I love this. They lifted their voices together in prayer. O sovereign Lord, creator of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. You spoke long ago by the Holy Spirit. See, the Holy Spirit's in the Old Testament. Just I want to just throw that out there. Through our ancestor David, your servant, saying, Why were the nations so angry? Why did they waste their time with futile plans? The kings of the earth prepared for battle. The rulers gathered together against the Lord and against his Messiah. In fact, this has happened today here in this very city. For Herod, Pontius Pilate, the governor, yes, I skipped over a word, I didn't want to try it. The Gentiles and the people of Israel were all united against Jesus, your holy servant, whom you anointed. 
But everything they did was determined beforehand according to your will. Now listen, this is the part where I really, really, oh, I love this part. Are you ready? I loved it. Well, you aren't. Okay, I'm going to just wait. Are you, are you ready? Scott's ready. Is anybody else ready? All right, thank you very much. And now, oh Lord, hear their threats and give us, your servants, great boldness in preaching your word. Isn't that an awesome verse? Hear the threats. Like, I think that's a big deal. I don't want you to act like they didn't happen. I don't want you to ignore them. I, I don't want you to take them away. I don't even want you to separate me from the threats and the persecution and the challenges we're going to face. But in fact, what I'd really rather you do is to give us boldness to keep doing what we're already doing that got us the threats in the first place. It's a different early church, isn't it? Like that is not necessarily what we would pray. If we got threatened or persecuted, we might get together and we would like shrink in fear in our prayer. Right? We would go, God, get this away from me. God, do And I'm not saying those are bad things and not bad things to pray. But I'm just saying like they go, hear the threats and give us boldness. Come on, that's the kind of church, that's the kind of person I want to be. That the circumstances around me and the challenges I'm facing do not determine for me the calling of God upon my life. In fact, I feel like if you're pursuing your calling, challenges are just part of the journey. And I have to be in those moments, be willing to pray, God, I hear the threats. You hear the threats. You hear what's being said. But even in the midst of that, God, let me be bold. Let me be courageous. Let me be full of faith. Let me step out. You know, there's people in your world right now who are hoping you're praying that prayer. You, you feel like people tell you you're pushing propaganda. You feel like some people are telling you that what you're saying is not real. But you've seen and heard some things, even in your life or in your friend's life. You've, you've seen and heard some things. But, but the reality of it is, is that we have to be willing in those moments to go, you know, it might sound like propaganda. It might sound like some subjective idea. But it's not. This, this, I've seen my life. I've got a joy and a peace and a hope. That's why the Holy Spirit's so important. Because you're not just testifying of what Jesus had done. You're testifying about what the Holy Spirit is doing in your life and you have joy when there's chaos and peace when things are falling apart and you have love even when people hate you and you have kindness when people really hate you and you have self-control and you, I mean come on you've got those things in your life and when you do you are able to listen I'll tell you the greatest witness you could ever give is to live your life well to live it in the presence and purpose of God and and to live it with excellence to live it with a with a courage and a faith that doesn't allow you to back down when things get difficult but causes you to lean in because prayer is a place where you should not shrink in your fear or circumstance but rise up in faith and encourage prayer is a place where you should walk out of that going okay yeah no, I got this. I don't, I don't mean that it might all change today. It might. But I'm praying that even if it doesn't, I would have great courage and boldness. Now look what happens next. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Oh, I love that prayer. I mean, maybe you write that down. Maybe that's your 21 days of prayer. Yeah? Give me boldness and let me see amazing things happen because of my willingness to serve you, love you, and because of your willingness to give us your name as a gift to use. After this prayer, that's a key phrase, after this prayer. Remember, the book ends. After 
this prayer. The meeting place shook, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. When they preached, then they preached the word of God with boldness. God wants us to have so many after this prayer moments. He wants us to, to experience after this prayer type of moments where we rise up in boldness, where we step out in faith, where we see this thing happen to us where we're preaching. Like, listen, I'm not telling you that you have to figure out how to get bolder and you have to figure out how to get more courage and you have to figure out how to have more faith. That comes because you hear the voice of God. Because you hear God in his word, and you hear God through your friends, and you hear God in his own voice and his Holy Spirit in you, leading you and guiding you. It, that's where that happens. And when you have that, then all of a sudden you rise up in a place of boldness and courage. It's, it's, it's born in you. You don't create it. You don't make it. It's born in you as you begin to commune with and know God. And when that happens, you begin to rise up and you go, man, I, I want to pray for some things that I would be astonished if that happened. I'd be astonished. And I want to give you three things to pray for as we do these 21 days of prayer. I give you three things to pray for. And, uh, and, and maybe just, you know, on that card, you actually can write some of this down, but you don't have to. It's all good. Uh, but I want to give you three things to pray for. Let me make sure I get there. These three things I think are going to make your prayer time um, that much more powerful. You know, what's going to shake off your life when you pray? Is your life going to shake up when you begin to? That's what I want. I want your life to just have a shaking in it over these next 21 days. That some things need to get off your life, shake off your life, right? You just get loose, you know? Like, uh, And then the things that need to come to the surface will show up. And I want you to pray for three things. Make it personal. I want you to pray three ways. Make it personal. Develop a relationship with the Father. If, if, if your whole prayer for these 21 days is, God, I want to know you. 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 You know he can do some work with that. Like he, can, he can handle that. The second thing is this, his power and purpose. I want you to pray for his power and purpose. They didn't pray for the threats to go away. They prayed for boldness to keep going regardless. Listen, I heard a John Maxwell say this this week, and he wasn't talking a leadership lesson. Uh, he was talking about something else, but he said, everything in life that's worth doing is uphill. Yet we love to instill in our life downhill habits. Everything we're doing in life is uphill. I mean, having kids, y'all, that's like three hills. It is uphill. And you got to change some habits. You want to open a business? All right, that's uphill. You can't have downhill habits. You want to have a great marriage? Oh, buddy, that's uphill. It is. But I tell you what, it's the greatest journey of your life. I've never heard people talk about how awesome it was that they got to the valley. Yo, I made it down. No, that's not what happens. They say, man, can you believe it? I made it to the top. Everything's uphill. Pray for his power and his purpose. And then the last one, and this is really, really important to me. Pray for people, people, and more people. The reason prayer worked for the early church is because their primary goal was to reach more people with the good news of Jesus. And they knew that everything God was giving them was to that end. 
And I don't just mean the guys who preach on a Sunday morning. I don't just mean the guys who lead worship. I mean everybody in their place of work, in their place of uh, neighborhood, living in their neighborhood. And I'm not telling you got to get out on the corner and start yelling something. I mean do life with people. Invite them to your table and tell them what you've seen and heard. And if all you're talking about is what you've seen and heard in other people and not talking about what you've seen and heard Jesus do, then that's called gossip. Well, you want to talk about what is God doing in your life? Pray for people, even the people you don't like. Pray for them. Because God wants to move in their life just as much as he wanted to move in yours. Pray for people. And watch as God gives you opportunities. Sometimes we pray, God, change his heart. And he goes, no, I'll pray that his heart's open so you can go and do something for them that I've been waiting to happen. Come on, because you need boldness to pray those things in your life.